You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Kindling Helpline is brought to you by 13Sick, National Home Doctor Service. 13Sick is Australia's largest network of home visiting doctors. So if you need urgent medical care but your GP is closed, make the call to 13Sick. How was the weekend? Did you get enough sleep? Were your kids eating their veggies? If anything was frustrating you over the weekend, now is the time to give us a call. Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue is an author and she spends all of her time helping families of many different shapes and sizes, sort of guiding them through things like settling techniques, how to start solids, anything really. I have yet to hear someone ask a question she can't answer. So give us a call. It's 1-800-543-772 or you can text us on 0437-665-200. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Let's start with, uh, we've got a few emails. So bear with me. Uh, You have your pen ready. (laughs) Uh, Tanya, this is about a, I think it's about a sensitive 18-month-old. She says, um, my 18-month-old cries very loudly and sometimes for a long while over small things. For example, when he accidentally bumps into something or trips over or when he's left alone for a minute, how can I reassure him? His responses seem to me excessive. His older brother only used to cry if he had hurt himself. You're lucky. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm saying you're lucky that you, your older one only cried when he hurt himself because ha- I've had criers in my time. What's yes. your advice, Chris? I think he just needs a little bit more time. So there's one of two things going on. It's a perfect way to get lots of attention from someone. So that's his age group. And the other one is that he could just need more time, more reassurance. So if we give it time, it'll probably decrease and go away. So I think the difficulty is that if he applies that to everything, like bumped his knees, he was walking past, someone took something off him, um, you left the room and didn't tell him, I think that would be very stressful for a parent um, and maybe pre-warning him. So, you know, mum is going to the bedroom, I'll be back in a minute, letting him come with you. You know, instead of trying to get there really quickly and back again, just say, come with mummy. Because the less he learns to cry about it, the less he'll cry in that instance. And maybe he just needs a bit more time and patience. Um, And some kids do. They just, there's no rhyme or reason. And as you're now aware, you can give exactly the same parenting to one child and it's completely different for another child. So I think this one's just time and patience. Well, I hope that helps, Tanya. Good luck with that. This is the one where you need the pen. Okay, it's right. Josie. It's Ready. 14-month-old sleep regression we're talking about here. My daughter used to be a great sleeper. I'd put her in the cot calm uh, but awake at 7 o'clock, and she'd usually sleep until 6 a.m., plus she'd have two reliable one-and-a-half-hour cot sleeps in the day. About one and a half weeks ago, she started fighting the day sleeps, sometimes morning, sometimes afternoon. So I briefly experimented pushing the morning sleep later and having one nap. However, a few days later, she started having disrupted sleep at night. So I've reverted to two day sleeps. This hasn't helped. And she's now unsettled during the day naps and (laughs) the the night. night. (laughs) Now when I put her in the cot calm at night, she instantly jumps up and screams. Yes. 
Um, okay, so as soon as I lay her down and I put a f- firm hand on her back, she lies down very cooperatively and stops crying, eyes closed. As soon as I try to sneak out of the room, she's <laughs> hyper alert and screams instantly. We've all been there. She's super sensitive to any noise or creak. She eventually gets to sleep after 40 minutes or so, then wakes again a few times in the night, often around 11.30 and takes a good 45 minutes to an hour to get into a deep enough sleep where I can leave the room. Oh, your arm must be sore, Josie. Oh, uh, Josie. <laughs> I've had we can to... fix this really easily. Oh, good. Okay. She said that they've resorted to putting the porticot next to their bed a few times <laughs> just to get some sleep. What should I do now? It's coincided with me leaving her with my mum for one day a week while I work, so she's not sure if separation anxiety is part of the issue. Don't think separation anxiety is part of the issue because you're leaving her with your mum who she knows, it's her grandma, um, depending on whether she's, you know, um, at grandma's place or at, at your place. But I think that isn't really the issue. I think she's trying to transition to one sleep and I think you've got to give that time and patience again. So I'm not sure how long, because it doesn't say in our email, how long she kept her awake for before she tried putting her to sleep. But I'll explain the way I do it, and then that might help you. Once you make the decision to transition to one sleep, we usually do it and stay with it. What parents don't understand is the first week that they put their babies onto one sleep is they need to put them to bed a little bit earlier in the evening because they're sort of losing a little bit of sleep. But all the signs are there for one sleep. Multiple wake-ups at night, waking earlier, harder to go down to sleep, difficulty with sleeping patterns. So if she wakes up generally at 6 o'clock, at 14 months I would be putting her down at 11.30. So I'm not sure what time uh, Josie was putting her down. So let's put it down at 11.30, give her lunch at 11, put it down at 11.30. And what we're hoping for is that she might sleep for two to two and a half hours, so around two o'clock. And when she gets up, she has a little bit of afternoon tea, dinner and bed. But in the very first week, you put her to bed at 6.30 so that she can sort of not get overtired by the time she goes down to bed. She stays in that pattern until she's about 14 months old. Then at 16 months, I just... Move it out to 12 o'clock, and then at 18 months, I move it out to 12:30. And I find that that works for the for the little ones. They're really active in the morning. The very first week, you put her onto one sleep. You don't put her in a pram or a car in the morning because she has a micro sleep and it throws the sleep pattern out. So you've got to sacrifice one week of putting her in a pram or a car. You could put her in the car at 8 o'clock in the morning, but if you put her in the car at 9.30, they'll fall asleep. Ah, the old falling asleep in In the the car. car. (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) Well, I I hope... Hopefully that works. That's what it sounds like. It just sounds like a baby trying to transition to one sleep. But inadvertently, she's now got into the pattern of needed assistance to go to sleep. And once you've done the transition, it will hopefully have fixed that issue. If not, you just need to leave her for a short period, go back, give her a little bit of reassurance and then leave again and reteach her how to go to sleep calmly again. All right, Josie, good luck with that. And please remember that you can give us a call back if you um, if you need any advice next Monday. Um, I'm just going to move to some text messages we've got here, Chris. We've got Kate in Perth. Do you have any, t- do you have any tips for weaning? 
Hubby and I are trying to wean our two-year-old off dummies, but he's very vocal in letting us know how much he really wants it. We've tried hiding his dummies, but he always manages to find them. (laughs) And he's so demanding, he is wearing us down. Please help. Okay. So oh, f- wait, wait, sorry. I can't oh. bring myself to throw them away because he has been quite sick lately and the dummy is the only thing that helps him to sleep when he's crook. Yep. So this is the problem. You're not ready to give up the dummy. You aren't ready. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably ready, but you're not ready. So don't do it half-hearted. It's not fair on him. It's, um, it's like hanging a carrot in front of him and saying, well, maybe you can have this and maybe you can't. If you've made your decision to get rid of your dummy at whatever age, you have to throw them out because it's too tempting to give them back. Oh, yes. So you have to throw them out. It's one day of difficulty for what you're looking for. Usually with a two-year-old, I'm quite happy to use bribery, corruption and deception in this case. You always got to have a healthy dose of that in parenting. So with this one, I literally throw the dummies. I collect every single dummy and I throw them out and I tell them that we're throwing them out. So it's about also about honesty so they don't go trying to search the whole household for a dummy and getting more and more upset about it. And then I go out and buy a comfort toy that he can have in his bed. So he might like... Thomas the Tank Engine and he might have a soft Thomas the Tank Engine or a new bunny and he takes the bunny to bed with him and that stops that sucking action that he's looking for and he can find it in his bed. So to be fair to the children, once you've made the decision to give up a dummy, you have to throw the dummies out. You can't say you can't have a dummy and then you get an ear infection or a cold and then I'm going to give you the dummy back. That's just a mixed message to him. So stay strong, take a breath, throw them out. (laughs) Good luck, Kate. You're listening to Kindling Helpline with Mothercraft Nurse Chris Minogue. If you have a question for her, now's the time to call. It's one 800 543 We have a text, an anonymous text. It says, my 10-month-old hardly eats. How can I make food more interesting for her to eat more? First thing I would do with a 10-month-old is feed them, for, uh, feed them food first. So when they get up in the morning, I give them breakfast first and then about an hour later give them a milk drink, whether it's a breastfeed or a bottle. Um, then when they're up from their morning sleep, give them a little snack lunchtime, then a milk feed, dinner time, then a milk feed. So the first thing is to get the pattern in the right order. And the second thing is not to substitute a meal that they haven't eaten for milk because then they end up drinking more milk. And filling up on that. Yeah, and filling up on milk. So most babies are still having near 600 mils of milk in a day. And if you drank that as an adult, you wouldn't be hungry either. So we have to look at the big picture first. And the second thing is um, to be consistent with what you feed them. So in the morning, if she needs to be fed, then feed her things like Weebix or porridge, but make sure she can explore with food as well. She might like a finger of toast. She might like um, some egg. Not all of these all in one meal because that overwhelms the child and lots of people do that. You didn't eat this, so I'll give you that. You didn't eat this, so I'll give you that. And then it becomes an overwhelming Um, message to the child. So things that are available for that age group are things like giving porridge one day, giving wheat bix another day, toast and fresh fruit another day, maybe eggs another day. Sitting down and eating with them also helps. Okay. And the other one is expectation around food. So often we expect that they're going to eat a big meal, but they generally only eat a small meal. 
So if she's eating two or three tablespoons of food, that's quite good. So it's all about managing the expectation. Uh, Lunchtime, I would just give it to her in a hand, like a little sandwich cut up, some carrot sticks, stuff like that, Um, finger food. And there's quite a lot of information on the net about finger food. And then dinner, I would be feeding her again. Remember timing and not to overfeed her with snacks. And you should be able to get her to start eating well for you. We also have another text from Danelle who says, My daughter is 27 months old and has taken to throwing stuff when she doesn't get her own way. (laughs) I give her a warning, then say, It's bath time now. She then starts crying and shouting, No, I want to play. And then we'll say to her, We've had our time playing, now it's bath time. This Danielle, you sound so patient. Anyway, she would pick up a toy and throw it at us. We would tell her that's not kind. We don't throw things at each other. Then we would walk away and she would get another toy, follow us, and then throw the toy at us again. By that point, we say again, oh, dear, that's not kind. We do not throw things at each other. Followed by her still kicking and screaming, saying, I want to play. We then say, what toys would you like to take to the bath? (laughs) She would select one or a few from her basket of water toys and off she goes for her bath. Oh, that's so lovely. You're so nice. You are very but nice. who has all the control in this family? <laughs> Some very cute little 27-month-old, two-and-a-half-year-old. So I think we've had too much conversation and too much negotiation. Um, you've got to remember that you're the parent, and this is an age group where they're looking for boundaries and borders and for you to be as consistent as, as you can. So here we go. We're going off to the bath, and she's happily playing. The first thing we would do is give her warning. We are going to have a bath soon. I'm going to run your bath. So we've given a little bit of warning. Um, And then she's playing happily with, say, Duplo for her age. So I would get down and say, we're going to have a bath now, but we're going to leave the Duplo here and we're going to come back to the Duplo. So we've given her an option for what's going to happen. If she says no and carries on and starts kicking and shouting then I still don't give her back to the Duplo because that gives her the power at that point. So if she starts throwing things around, I then move to discipline in the throwing, not about the bath or the toys. So maybe down at her level, we do not throw. We are not throwing. And if we threw again, then I'd probably remove those toys. So that's the discipline around the behaviour, not so much how do you get her to the bath. At that point, you have to pick your argument so how important's the bath? So the bath is important if we haven't had one for a couple of days. So then if she says, I want to play, I'm not going to engage with that. I'm trying to get her to the bath. If you keep engaging with the I want to play, then I think you're going to lose the traction on getting her to the path. We can play in the bath. I've got bubbles for you in the bath. I'm not really giving her choice at this point. We can play bubbles in the bath. You have toys in the bath. But I wouldn't stop and say, so what do you want to take to the bath? Because she'll want to take all the toys to the bath. So I'm giving her direction. I'm disciplining the behaviour that you want discipline, which is probably your throwing. But you're giving her structure and you're continuously trying to get her to do, go in the movement that you want to, in this case, go to the bath. Good luck with that, Danelle. Isn't it, it is, fun being a parent? It is age appropriate. <laughs> and just think, Danelle, that you're trying to shape her into the little girl you want her to be. So if she's got all the power, she's going to have all the power at 16. So oh, my Lord. A little now. bit, little bit pull back, a little bit more direction, a little bit more consistent, and you'll get there. Okay, we've got another text from uh, Joanne. She's got a three-year-old daughter, 
Uh, she says, my daughter sucks her sleeve. How do I get her to stop? Um, she used to have a muslin for comfort that she sucked. So when we removed that, she's moved onto her sleeve. Oh, I'd give her back the muslin. Would you? What if they throw it? What if it's, a f- you know how they get? Yeah, they, they can get, get money. Pretty, yeah. Soak in the sleeve. True. That is true. Um, <laughs> so she's three, isn't she? Mm. I think with this one, I'd use a lot of distraction. It depends when she does it. She's probably mainly doing it when she's sitting watching television, when she's not even thinking, because it's a comfort thing. Mm. So it's like biting your nails or sucking your thumb by the sounds of it. So as much as possible, I would spend a couple of days watching her and as she brings her sleeve to her mouth I try and distract her by putting something in her hand so can you come over here and help mummy stack the dishwasher or unpack the dishwasher you know with the safe things and just distract her from the sucking of the sleeve but the one you won't be able to fix is in her sleep if she does it in her bed and I think that's just going to have to be time that does that one. And the more you can distract her during the day not to do it, the less and less it will become a learned behaviour. It's probably just a form of self-comforting. And with age, it will disappear. Good luck. Um, thank you, everyone, for your um, texts and email messages. Um, Chris, thank you for your time today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. That's Mother Craft Nurse Chris Minogue. She'll be back next week for a midday answering your questions. Oh, actually, sorry, I forgot one question. Okay. How could I do that? <laughs> sorry, Sam from Glenelg. Before we move on, very quickly, uh, Sam from South Australia asks, Hi, Chris, my two-year-old son refuses to get changed. He runs away and wriggles all the time, and the only way to get new clothes on him is to hold him, which isn't pleasant for anyone. Would love some help as it's exhausting. Okay. So there's two things I don't argue about in life. One is food and one is clothing. So this is, uh, let's say he's in the house. So that's fine. You know, he will, if it's cold outside, he'll work it out. He'll come back and he'll let you dress him. So it's choosing the argument if he gets out of the bath and he won't sit still while you put the nappy and the pyjamas on him, I'd let him do the nudie run. Wear him out, let him do the nudie run for 10 minutes, then go to him. Don't try and take him to a change table or to a bedroom. Just go to him. And while he's there, I would try and dress him. So it becomes less confrontational. Then you try and get him dressed for daycare, going out in the morning. I don't argue this one either. So my biggest trick is the very first thing in the morning when you get him up and he might be changing his nappy, put his clothes on him then when he's half awake and he can't even think about it. <laughs> Love it. People worry about how messy they get. Put a bib on him or an arm-sleeved you know, bib on him. So one is get him dressed really early. The second one is don't worry about it. If he won't get dressed for preschool, just put his nappy and his singlet on him, pick him up. Pack all his clothes up, put them in his bag. You'll get as far as the car when he realises he's not dressed. He'll keep saying, I need to get dressed. And you say, yes, you can get dressed when I get to preschool. So you put him in his seat, drive to preschool, and he gets out of the car and goes, I need my clothes on. So then he'll quite happily just stand there while you just put his top on and his shorts on. I know it's cold, but trust me, two minutes of standing in the cold, he will realise he needs to stop. (laughs) put his clothes on. Hard love. Good luck with that, Sam. Chris, I will let you go now. Thank you. That's a pleasure. See ya. That's Mothercraft nurse Kristen Oak. She'll be back 
at midday next week answering your questions. Kindling Helpline is brought to you by 136 National Home Doctor Service. If you or a loved one need urgent medical care but your GP is closed, make the call to 136. That's 137425 for a bulk build after hours doctor home visit. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.